Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 16 of Charlie's GeekCast. My name is Charlie Niemeyer, and today we are going to look at part two of JLA's Rock of Ages storyline. But first, we have listener feedback. And this comes from our friend Russell Bragg. And he put this comment on episode 15, uh, which was the last episode. And he writes, Hello, episode 15 was great. Thanks for the comic time update before getting into the issue. It does help me out quite a bit. I don't know if I mentioned this to you before, but I know next to nothing about the Justice League beyond the Bronze Age. So all of the information you can give is wonderful. I'm pretty sure I had heard of the Rock of Ages storyline, but I didn't know the plot or how it ended. So I'll be following along to see what happens. It was great to get into the ads again. However, it's just not the same without Hostess, huh? A Golden Age reverse flash to battle Jay Garrick? Cool. Seems a bit better than the turtle of Rocco the Gangster Hannigan. Made up that last one. All Golden Age heroes fought a no-name gangster and petty criminals. Anyway, great episode as always. Keep up the great work, and I'll be waiting intently for the next episode. P.S. I guess I sort of agree with you about the mother covering the baby stroller with her body in Superman 2. Mothers will do just about anything to protect their children. I understand her actions, but it seems silly to me. Bye! Well, thank you very much, Russell. Yeah, I'm just going to leave that one. Uh, it, it seems silly, but it's just a motherly thing. Um, but I'm glad you're enjoying the story. I hope that... Um, I don't kill your interest in it by going over it on this show. And, yeah, the, the the Golden Age Reverse Flash really only shows up for, like, one panel. And is basically just, I think, instead of red, yellow, red shirt with a yellow flash symbol and blue pants, I believe it's a yellow shirt with a red flash symbol and black pants. I don't know, but he's got the helmet. It's really cool. I, I don't know. Anyway, so thank you for that, Russell. And uh, after a couple of promos, we'll be right back with JLA number 11. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, the world's greatest heroes. They have saved the world time and time again. But what about their partners in heroism? Join me, Kenneth Laster, in a podcast journey through the lives of the Teen Titans in... Youthful Rebellions, a Teen Titans podcast, starting with the revamp in 2003 and continuing through the new 52. Join Robin, Superboy, and Wonder Girl, and many more at titanspodcast.podomatic. See you there, and remember... Evil beware, we have waffles. Hey, Michael. Hey, Dad. We need to record another new trailer. Another one? Yes. You know that we read comics and then talk about comics because as we've established talking about comics you've not read is just dumb yeah and you make me do it every Thursday well we've moved have we? yes we have outgrown our old location I don't feel like I've moved and we have now moved to twotruefreaks.com what was that again? twotruefreaks.com Akers Comics still every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice... Okay, JLA number 11, or had a cover date of October 1997, was released on August 27, 1997, just after my 17th birthday. Had a cover price of $1.95 US and $2.75 Canada. Features another beautiful cover by Howard Porter and John Dell, with colors by Liquid Graphics. Uh, featuring um, 
Superman and Martian Manhunter in a maze while the Joker and Lex Luthor laugh and apparently Liquid really likes the use of yellow because Lex is wearing a bright red suit. Did I say yellow? Well, I can't talk. Uh, Liquid likes the use of red because they have Lex in a bright red suit. Also, they like the use of green because the background is green and the maze is a different shade of green. But yeah, it looks really cool. And actually, John Dell does a pretty good Joker. Anyway, the story starts with uh, Lex Luthor standing on some kind of looks like a fancy diving board uh, or a dock uh, standing over a massive globe of the world actually I think it's a window from the satellite overlooking the world basically the United States because I think I see Florida anyway there's not really a good way to uh, explain this other than to actually read read his monologuing to you Um, but while he's saying this, he's being joined by the rest of his Injustice gang. But he says, There have been Justice Leagues before, of course. I've indulged their existence, let them conduct their colorful public brawls, like drunken sailors with a Hollywood budget. Let them play their games. I would have destroyed any of those organizations at any time. I chose not to. Until now. Until Superman. I would have overlooked this latest media-friendly pantomime by creatures whose very existence makes a mockery of human achievement. I would even have been prepared to indulge the astonishing arrogance of their lunar clubhouse, but for Superman. I take his leadership of this preposterous team of alpha males as a direct challenge, a throwing down of the gauntlet, a clear and deliberate escalation of the hostilities between us. I intend to utterly destroy Superman's private army, and to do so, I have assembled the perfect weapons, my very own Injustice Gang. And Lex is surrounded by Ocean Master in his cool post-Underworld Unleashed 90s costume, if you want to call it that, Uh, Cersei, the Joker, Mirror Master, and Dr. Light in his post-Underworld Unleashed 90s costume, complete with flaming hair, uh, energy blast hands, the flame on his chest, and stuff. Not the classic Dr. Light that you might be used to. Uh, this is Rock of Ages Part 2, Hostile Takeover. Written by Grant Morrison, penciled by Howard Porter, inked by John Dell, colored by Pat Garrahy. Heroic Age did the separations. Ken Lopez was the letterer. Associate editor was Peter Tomasi, and editor was Dan Raspler. Uh, basically, at this point... Uh, the over the news com comes the fact that uh, you know they're doing this the funeral for the those that died at Star City. Joker thinks it's funny, but Lex does not. After Joker says that he has uh, sent special coffins for, uh, that will send those dead kids flying into the air like flapjacks. This causes Lex to belt him one and say that children don't seem funny or dead children don't seem funny. Uh, they are regrettable casualties in their campaign, but they're not funny. I should also point out, I believe this is before the birth of Lena Luthor? No. Yes, I think this is before the birth of Lena Luthor, so he doesn't have a daughter yet. He, Although I believe that the Contessa would be pregnant at this point, so that could have some bearing on this. By the way, this whole time he's holding the red, the red, the glowing red stone with the blue flame in the center of it. Uh, and, of course, we also get another narration. There have been other Injustice gangs before, of course. They all tried. They all failed. They all lacked one essential ingredient. Lex Luthor. 
Uh, he also makes it clear with all of the others that their war is not with the civilians, but with the superhumans. And uh, Miramaster makes it strictly known that he works for the highest bidder, no questions asked. Uh, we also get a progress report from Ocean Master. Uh, we can, they can hack into the bolt teleport systems for 15 seconds during operator changeover. Uh, they've chosen a section of the Indian Ocean to cut and paste. And right now, um, Ocean Master is developing painful telepathic goads to further enrage the wildlife. Uh, meanwhile, Joker's there apparently because of his unique talents. And he's also there because he can guarantee Batman gift-wrapped. Uh, at this point, uh, Ocean Master has a helmet put down on his head that basically is the what he uses to control the fake Aquaman. And Luther says that in three days, the Justice League is theirs. On the next day, day two, at the JLA Watchtower, um, now that the everything from the Star City battle to the Genesis Wave is has been over and dealt with. It's time to bring everybody back up to speed over what's been going on as far as the Injustice gang. Uh, by the way, be, uh, since the Genesis event, Flash has now returned. And even though technically he should have the... his eyes should be clearly visible through, uh, through the his cowl, during this story apparently they didn't know about that. Even though Grant Morrison's writing both of them. But, uh, you know, it's just another costume problem. Uh, so Flash still has the white eyes, like Batman. But apparently the fake Aquaman was seen again near Sumatra right when a section of the Indian Ocean disappeared. And while Aquaman was active, Superman was able to detect a laser broadcast source in orbit at a specific spot, so he and Martian Manhunter are going to investigate after they've gotten an update from Batman. Uh... And apparently everything is consistent with their first theory. Someone's assembled an anti-league. And he believes that based on the current makeup of the team, they can guess who's going to be on this anti-league to oppose them. Batman also notice has also yeah. Batman has also noticed a curious a curious internet posting about two reports of unusual explosion in the Mojave Desert, which he thinks could have something to do with stealing air because there was no debris and no light, just a loud bang. Uh, meanwhile, uh, while Batman's giving his update, uh, Martian Manhunter tells Superman about a telepathic alarm he just got from Green Arrow. The missing ocean has turned up in the San Fernando Valley. So Green Lantern gets sent down to California to help Green Arrow. Superman and Jean head out to check out the source of the laser hologram, and the rest are to stay in the tower and wait for their signal. Green, Arrow does, or Green Lantern doesn't seem too excited about this, but he goes anyway. But in the San Fernando Valley, um, Green Arrow is busy trying to help as many people as he can onto a raft. Uh, he tries to save a woman from a shark, which he slows down with an arrow to its head. Uh, but, of course... Green Arrow steals the show by using his ring to make a giant construct of a basically a balding fat man with a giant straw literally sucking out all the water from the San Fernando Valley and he calls it the ultimate executive toy a head that drinks the ocean give me five minutes to dump these guys somewhere warm and 
he actually makes the construct fly over the ocean and basically it kind of dissolves, I guess. It looks like it all just kind of comes out of a giant hole in this construct's cheek. And at that point, Green Lantern and Green Arrow decide they're going to take a coffee break. Meanwhile, up in space, Superman and Martian Manhunter have found the, satellite, the skull-shaped satellite. Which is weird, because they were trying to hide it from Kyle last issue. Meanwhile, up on the watchtower, uh, the heroes that remain there, Aquaman, Flash, and Aztec, hear some loud noise, which makes no sense because the alarms didn't go off. So Flash runs down to check it out, followed eventually by Aquaman and Aztec, and it's Metron and his Mobius chair. And he says that all space and time is threatened. It's, uh, it's, it's, apparently it's going too cosmic. Flash isn't very good with cosmic, I guess. Uh, but, you know, Aquaman says to leave it to him because he's handled cosmic and lived. Meanwhile, on the, on the Injustice Gang satellite, it's empty. But Martian Manhunter and Superman show up. And it turns out that it's not just empty. It itself is a hard-like hologram. And they figure it's a trap. But it does have oxygen, which explains the explosion that Batman reported. And the boom would have been the vacuum that needed to be filled. Um... Now, apparently, the uh, let me use the narration to let us know exactly how this worked. And this is, again, Lex Luthor. Dr. Light and the Mirror Master, the suspect old coward and the mercenary Scottish thug, have combined their powers to create photoplastic hard light, hologram sculptures that can be shaped like, K, like clay. The idea, was, the idea was mine, of course. So basically, it's also got a slight, a, like a bit of a remote that can be controlled by whoever holds it. Uh, and will turn anyone's thoughts into the reality that Superman and Martian Manhunter have to deal with. So, guess which insane clown just happens to get his hands on it? That's right. Suddenly, um, everything around them changes, and there's a loud, ha 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 ha, you know, Joker's maniacal laugh. And suddenly, there's a Joker head-shaped entrance that opens up. Looks like a funhouse entrance. And they walk through the mouth, and it's this crazy maze. Basically, the Joker's mind given form. Uh, so, in order to get through the maze, Martian Manhunter does something really cool. Uh, see, he can alter his shape in any way, so he alters the shape of his brain. Uh, and he shrinks the rational analytical left hemisphere, and enlarges the irrational right hemisphere. With doing that, he can subdue all logical linear thought and open the dark cellars of the unconscious intuitive mind and see the jo the world as the Joker sees it. So while Superman sees this massive, crazy-looking maze, basically what Martian Manhunter sees is basically a straight path complete with arrows pointing to the exit. It's really cool. Meanwhile, in the San Fernando Valley, uh, we see Kyle and... Connor having their coffee, in full costume of course. Kyle is worried because of the fact that if one woman can die, so can he. Meanwhile, he he keeps blowing work deadlines. Con uh, Connor is all upset because he's just a, bo a boy with a bow and arrow and suddenly he's up against holographic killers and galactic tyrants. This is basically what I was saying last issue, poor kid. Um, Oh, and, you know, what would happen if you had to go up against Darkseid or something? So with these thoughts in mind, Cersei walks up to them in... Basically, I mean, she's wearing all green, but it's, you know, a, fem a woman's business suit. 
Uh, even despite the fact she's got purple hair, she sits down and lets them talk about it. Uh, Lex Luthor lets us know that Cersei comes to us from mythology, or so she claims. She has the power to unleash base desires and turn men to beasts. And Superman? Men of honor and will and impossible morality? She turns Superman into mere men. She strips them of the purifying purpose, the unflinching courage and dedication to duty that sets them so high above everybody else. So she makes, she, you know, she kind of pushes Connor over and takes her seat and says all the right things to get under their skins. After all, um, apparently Kyle so desperate, is so desperate to replace his lost father that he, he'll willingly obey the orders of any authority figure. Uh, and puts a doubt in their mind that maybe they're being manipulated by Martian Manhunter's telepathy. She, you know, tells Kyle to think about all the stuff he could do if he wasn't trying to please his surrogate fathers. Uh, Kyle starts thinking something's wrong and that they need to get out of there. Meanwhile, so Cersei's like, really? Back to your masters? Do you have any idea how truly alien they are? After all, where was Superman when your father died, Green Arrow? This makes Connor think, hmm. So he tells Kyle to go ahead. He's going to stay here with with the with the woman for a little bit for a little while. And at this point, Lex thinks that he gave him three days, and that was probably being generous. Now we get some more, and we find out exactly a little bit more about this stone that Lex has. Something unusual happened today. LexCorp maintains what I call what I like to call an acquisitions department. I pay specialists to scour the world for artifacts, I suppose. Items I may find useful in my war with Superman. My pers- my people found the crystal in Columbia. Some local drug baron was using it as a paperweight. Too bad he didn't think to use it to stop bullets. Under analysis it appeared to be a chunk of quartz with curious piezoelectrical properties, not least of which being that it resonates in unison with the brain waves of the alien I've been keeping in the LexCorp lab's basement. I've been using the crystal to manipulate the mind of the alien and through him the minds of my little injustice gang, but I had a suspicion there was more to it than that, and I was right. It's too early for me to have a name for what the crystal truly is, but it seems to be activated by the very act of thinking. I'm beginning to believe I may have stumbled upon the ultimate weapon. I've always been lucky like that. And as he stands there, playing with the stone, and I should point out that it can't have been today that he got it because he had it last issue, and that was supposed to be it's supposed to be several days since then. It creates this crazy-looking sculpture floating up above him. I don't know how to describe it other than that. I, it is just something that I'm guessing would be impossible to build in real life. But it and it just floats above him. Meanwhile, in New York City, we've got Eel O'Brien uh, <laughs> telling a bunch of women about an adventure he had. Uh, so my head's on the fifteenth floor, and my feet are in the basement, and the elevator's going all the way up. By the time I reach the penthouse, you can play me like a bass, like a bass string. And one of the girls goes, "Oh my God, what happened then? next, hon?" So he keeps telling, and Matt, as he keeps talking, Matches Malone shows up and tells him that uh, that he has a match. There's more oil in Eel's hair than they've got on the beaches of Kuwait, and it, he needs to think about that and talk to him. 
Uh, but the way he says it apparently causes Eel to go crazy, and we learn that he is, in fact, Plastic Man, in case you didn't know that Eel O'Brien was Plastic Man, uh, and uh, decides he will talk with Matches Malone. Meanwhile, back up in the set in the Justice or in the injust in the fake Injustice Gang satellite, Martian Manhunter takes Superman all the way through the maze. And we also learn while they're in there that the pet alien is Jim, son of Saturn. Uh basically he's uh Lexus decided that he needs him to telepathically scan and imitate the Martian's thought transmissions. And and you know how cranky the son of Saturn gets when he hasn't had his carbohydrates. Anyway, back on that satellite, um, or back on the fake satellite, Martian Manhunter gets Superman through the maze, they exit the maze, and John, or Jean finds a CD player, because those were actually high technology in 1997. Uh, Superman's new powers allow him to easily read digitally encoded information. It's on a very narrow wave band, and it says, Dear Superman, your optical scan triggers the bomb. And before Superman can say, Oh my God, the fake satellite explodes in this massive, massive explosion that, of course, would be silent because it's space and you can't hear anything. Meanwhile, on the Watchtower, Metron is going on and on about the Philosopher's Stone. It's the Grail, the ultimate living computer, the most powerful object in the universe. It is a fragment of the eternal source, all-powerful, and it transcends time and space. And do you know what will happen if Darkseid finds the, sta- finds the stone before they do? And he says that he's been sent by High Father of New Genesis to seek their aid to find this Philosopher's Stone before Darkseid can get his hands on it. Uh, so, meanwhile, uh, so while... Flash tries to figure out how Darkseid could break free from the source wall. Metron uses his mother box to upgrade the function of their teleport device to allow for trans-temporal travel. And of course, because even though they've kind of had to deal with these things before, he's got to explain to these people what a mother box is because, you know, new readers. So Aquaman has Flash open a telepathic link to Jean to bring him up to speed and see if you know, if they need to go or what needs to happen. But since Lex had them set up the son of Saturn with the fake telepathic link, uh, he says everything's fine and he has no problem if they want to go. Um, the satellite is a hard light fake. Superman and I are proceeding to join the others, basically saying that they're fine. Go ahead, do whatever you need to do. So Flash says, since John, since John says it's fine to go, I guess it's fine. Let's go. Meanwhile, in the Bat Cave, uh, t- uh, t- the Tim Drake Robin is bandaging up his left, no, his right arm uh, after he uh, after he and Nightwing have successfully taken case, care of the surgeon case as well as his crime consultants. Um, and after Batman corrects his, and after Batman corrects his grammar. Um, Batman has decided that he's figured out, figured out about this Injustice Gang and figures that Lex Luthor is calling the plays. Ordinarily, this would be bad, but they have an, an advantage. Le- Luthor still has no idea that he's dealing with someone who's as familiar with corporate takeover techniques as he is. Someone who actually plays the game better than he does. And that's Bruce Wayne. It's time to take out the Injustice Gang. 
And that's it. Um, notes for this issue. Some things I wanted to point out. Um, once again, we still don't have we we don't know until the end of the issue that it's the Philosopher's Stone, but it's nice to see it. Um, I had forgotten uh, as uh, page two. I had forgotten about after all this stuff about Doctor Light since since Identity Crisis being you know all sadistic and rapey. Uh, seeing Doctor Light in this costume was really weird. It really threw me off. Um, I like that Lex can be a bad guy, but still doesn't like the death of children, while Joker is just normal Joker. I also think it's perfectly Jokerish to have exploding coffins, you know. And in the uh, page three in the background, uh, you can see. Well, it looks like Wonder Woman and Green Lantern are supposed to be picking up stuff, but I'm thinking that's supposed to be Green Lantern versus the fake Wonder Woman from the news footage. Interesting. Um, page four, we've got Merrimaster mentioning that he works strictly for the highest bidder. That will come into play. Um, let's see. With with the uh, showing up of Aquaman here, this is the last time any of the uh, JLA holograms are used. Uh, page six, <laughs> uh, Green Lantern doesn't want to go to California and calls it Grody. I also think it's funny uh, if you look at the Superman chariot. Despite the fact that he's been using these powers for a while, they've still got the classic Superman symbol on the chair, like they know it's only temporary. Uh, let's see. Oh, page seven. Superman th worries that Kyle may be pushing himself beyond his limits, but Jean thinks that he's nowhere near his limits. Uh, that he that Kyle's good, and that he and Wally are much better than they think they are. Uh, which is just more of Morrison actually par telling you kind of what he's trying to do. He's trying to up the stakes so that it it improves and does some character development for both of those heroes, since they're the younger ones, trying to kind of help level them up along with their own titles. They're already leveling up pretty good, but it does help a lot, especially with Kyle, who hasn't been around near as long as Wally. But, you know, they're working on character development and maturity on both of them. And the whole the thing with Green Lantern really play, uh, becomes known by the time you hit the final issue of his of Morrison's run. Uh, let's see. Uh, page eight. Uh, of course, the giant construct drinking the water is hilarious. I love that. Um, although on page nine, I think it's kind of weird that now that they've taken care of that, despite everything that's happening, Kyle and Connor are just going to take a coffee break. I would think they should probably head back up to the watchtower first, but, you know, if they don't, then Cersei can't do her thing, and then it messes up the story. Also, I wonder if at any point Superman and Martian Manhunter will be pissed at Kyle for not noticing the giant skull-headed satellite in space when he checked for a source of the holograms last issue. Uh, page 10. Now, granted, I'm not up to date on all the stuff happening in the Jack Kirby's Fourth World title, but or in any of the fourth world stuff since zero hour, but that Mobius chair does not look like the Mobius chair we've seen before. Uh, granted, that could be one of the things that are up for artistic 
interpretation, but that should be a clue that something's up here, possibly. Uh, I love, let's see, oh man, the pages aren't numbered after a while. 15, 14, 12, page 12. I love how after Joker makes that, makes his maze, that how uh, Martian Manhunter figures a way out of it, uh, or figures out that he can change his mind so that it will allow him to see it the way the Joker does. It's kind of crazy. I, It's artistic interpretation, too, because you never do see the way it really is. You really only see the way the Joker sees it. Uh, so seeing Superman being like, I, I'm getting confused, this is hurting my head, is kind of weird. Um... Page 15, Cersei's manipulation, manipulations of the youngest members of the team is actually a pretty smart idea. I don't know that they would fall for it this easily, but if her power is to allow this, is to do this to people, then I can see how that would kind of overthrow common sense, and the fact that Green Lantern's got this massive amount of willpower, uh, even though they don't say it, kind of helps to fight it off, I guess. Uh, page 16 I believe that this sculpture that Lex has kind of apparently created uh, I believe that that image kind of comes into play later when it's revealed what the Philosopher's Stone really is um, I'll have to double check once we get that far uh, let's see I love the introduction of Plastic Man here uh, even though they don't go out of their way to say it's Plastic Man until you know it's the reveal uh, page nine, page eighteen. It's pretty uh, interesting. Good timing of Lex to have the son of Saturn start, you know, in, in, uh, imitating Martian Manhunter's thought transmissions just before that actually becomes an important thing to do. And of course, I love the last page. First of all, we don't get to see Robin that much. So it was kind of cool to see him, but also the fact that the Justice League secret weapon is Bruce Wayne is kind of cool and basically I love the idea that both of them are thinking similar somewhat similarly and therefore both of them believe they've already won so that's kind of cool the way that's going to work out and apparently if you look at this last page um, Batman can see into the fake satellite headquarters he sees Lex Luthor he appears to see Lex standing behind the son, gem son of Saturn, and he even sees the son of Saturn. So I guess he already knows just about everything we know. So yeah, that's that's something. And that's it for JLA issue 11. Let's look at the ads. Oh, and after a, a quick break, we'll take a look at the ads. Yeah, 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 play it. Come on, hey. Play it loud! Play it loud! And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Illogic. Foolish emotions. A constant irritant. And transpire out! Freak! Two! On the circus. <laughs> Right next to the dog-faced boy. True! I have 
come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubble gum. Oh, oh. It's a super prize package worth $9,388. Money. This isn't the biggest bag over the head. Punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Ow! And now, together by live simulation via the internet, your hosts, Scott Gardner. He killed a police officer for Christ's sake. Thank God, damn lucky he didn't kill her. And Chris Honeywell. Keep away! Keep away from me! You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. Yeah, because she thought you're some kind of freak. Now, come on, she let's go. She likes me, eh? No way. Shut up, you freak! Julia, shoot. I say shut up! It's a man out! A man out! TwoTrueFreaks.com Since the day Bruce Banner was bathed in gamma rays, he has fought the creature within. The creature torments Banner. The creature is unstoppable. The creature is incredible. Now, the countdown has begun to Banner's greatest confrontation with the Hulk, and all of his internal battles have come down to one moment. One final chance to reclaim his life and be whole, and three words will change the Hulk and Banner forever. Honey, I'm home. Bigger. Smarter. Greener. The Hulk is taken to new heights as writer Peter David delivers an all-new phase for the Jade Giant. And Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast, is bringing it all to you. Join J. David Weider, Lee Busby, and Michael Bailey as they turn a new corner and cover the all-new, all-different Incredible Hulk. Find the Ultimate Hulk podcast experience weekly at iTunes and at IncredibleHulkHomePage.com. Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast. Experience the epic like never before. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Okay, looking at the ads, inside front cover, we have a picture of Albert Einstein sticking his tongue out at us. And it says, give your day the brain off and drink mellow yellow. I never drank mellow yellow. I wonder if it's any if it's any good. I don't know. Uh, the next ad we've got across from page four is basically the back cover from last issue. Kroll, or Cull Rocks. Kevin Sorbo is Cull the Conqueror. It's exactly the same ad, just without the f- other page with it. Now, the next is like a centerfold ad. It, you have to turn the book sideways, and it covers two pages. And it's the soccer ball ad from Tang that we saw last issue. And then, of course, we've got the Denny's 3D baseball cards that we saw last issue as well. Same exact ad. Next is a a two-page ad for International Superstar Soccer 64 for the Nintendo 64 um, by Konami. I started kicking inside my mama, and I haven't stopped since. Right now, the only thing between me and a little and a world title is eight yards and a goalkeeper, and my foot only listens to you. Bury it. 
So yeah, this is so this is obviously back when the Nintendo 64 was the was the bee's knees. Uh, next up, we have an ad for a cool collectors uh, collectibles. Uh, the 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 one they're identifying right now is Mr. Freeze. Basically, they've not. Uh, it's a how do I want to explain this? Basically, they're taking some uh, an image from a cover, a famous or not so much famous, but uh, a famous cover. Uh, that is like the first introduction to a version of a character. They uh, sculpt the character from that image in pewter, also on top of this base that looks like they've been ripped right off of the comic page. And then behind it, they have a small reproduction of the cover that they have made the pewter from. So what they're showing is uh, the Mr. Freeze pewter that they've created. Uh, it's got an authentic, authentic full-color replica of the original comic book cover to issue number 525. Uh, the master mold has been destroyed, so there will be no more cast of these things, so these are very limited edition. Uh, there's only 25,000, and each comes with a hand number certificate of authenticity. They're handcrafted, and the nameplate and comic book publishing date are on the front. Uh, there's two sets. The first set has Superman from Superman 1 from 1939. The Joker from Detective Comics. Basically, I can't see the issue number, and I don't remember the issue number, but it's uh, you know, the one with the laughing fish. And then Batman from the cover of Batman Zero from right after Zero Hour. And for some reason, even though that issue of Detective Comics was the late 70s, they're calling that the Silver Age. It's called the Bronze Age, folks. Okay, and the second set features looks like it's the first issue showing off uh Jason Todd as Robin I'm be I believe this would be from uh pre-crisis so they call it the silver age um they've got Mr. Freeze the one I just talked about from the modern age and Batman from an old issue of Batman from the golden age called the golden age and I should also point out that the way they do this uh I mentioned that they have a the comic book looks like they've come right out of the pages for the golden age ones the comic page thing is colored gold for the silver age ones it's colored silver and for the modern age it's colored bronze so that's why they can't use bronze because they've used bronze for the modern era huh okay anyway apparently these are available at Ames, Hills, KB, Kmart Mayor er, yeah Mayor's Roses, Target, Toys R Us, Venture, Walmart, and other fine retailers. Some of those stores aren't around anymore. Yay! Next up, we have a f an ad for a new limited edition, limited five-issue miniseries taking flight in September from DC, written by Mike Barron, uh, with art by Dean Zachary and G Dick Giordano, and it's called Hawk and Dove, and it's not a Hawk and Dove that you'd be used to. Hawk is a woman wearing body armor and with guns. Dove is a dude with goggles and likes to play air guitar and wear baggy pants. Uh, basic, or Not air guitar, actual guitar. It says she wears body armor, he wears baggies. She carries a big gun, he carries a bass guitar, even though it's clearly a regular electric guitar, not a bass guitar in the image. She wants justice, he wants to party. And they both have wings, I will give them that, but... Yeah, it's uh, not their typical hawk and dove, and I don't think these guys come back. I'm not sure, but 
yeah, anyway. I mean, it looks kind of cool. Might have to check it out, but I'm guessing if can't be that great if they don't come back. Uh, next one is another Skittles commercial for Taste the Rainbow. This is on the inside back cover once again. Uh, it's for Skittles bite-sized candies, and this time we're using a magnifying glass to look at a rainbow, and we see a whole bunch of little Skittles in it, making up the colors of the rainbow. See what they did there? Yeah. And then the back cover is that same always poppin', always Coke ad of the anatomically incorrect kids drinking Coke while riding their bikes. Okay, and next up, elsewhere in the DC Universe for this month, uh, for other books published August 1997. Um, going through by publication date, we have Batman's Shadow of the Bat, number 67. Continuing the story from last issue by Alan Grant, Norm Brayfogle, and Stan Walk. I have this, and I've read it, I just can't think of what's going on at this point. Um... Elseworlds Finest, number one. Uh, Genesis, number one, came out at the beginning of the month. Uh, a, a Genesis crossover was Green Lantern, 91, where Green Lantern is, or Kyle is basically being tortured by Dasad. Uh, the third issue of the Kent's miniseries came out. Now, I don't normally point these the, this book out, but I did it with Animaniacs last month because it looked funny, and this looks funny too. This is Pinky and the Brain number 16, uh, Verminator 2, and basically it looks like a metallic version of Pinky. Uh, all that's missing is it saying Narf. It, it's actually kind of funny. Uh, Power of Shazam number 31, another Genesis crossover, which has a really awesome looking cover by... Uh, Jerry Ordway, where it's him standing on a mountain. It looks like he's shouting out to the gods he gets his name from, and it... I don't know. It doesn't look like they're happy. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Starman number 35 is another Genesis crossover. In Infernal Conflict. Involve, and it looks like we see... Um, well, I don't know exactly what's going on here, so I'm not going to mention it. Uh, Steel number 43 is another Genesis crossover, this time guest starring Superman. Steel, the official comic book adaptation, came out this month, drawn by John Bogdanov uh, and written by Louise Simonson. Now, the movie wasn't very good, but the art on this looks pretty good. Uh, John Bogdanov drawing this is the main reason why he's been having a guest artist on Superman, the Man of Steel. Uh, basically just about ever since uh, right after Superman changed to energy powers he's had a guest art he's had guest art on that book that's why because he was working on this steel movie adaptation poor guy uh, Supergirl annual number two looks like uh, Supergirl meets Brainiac from uh, Brainiac 5 from the Legion uh, Superman Adventures number 12 uh, is the second part of that Superman's really sick storyline. This uh, In this issue, Lois saves Superman. Uh, Superman Madman Mad Man Hullabaloo number 3 came out. Um, Superman Man of Steel number 72, which is a Genesis crossover. Uh, Superman is being menaced by mainframe. Uh, let's see. Uh, doo -doo -doo -doo. Adventure 
Secrets of D- Adventures of the DC Universe number seven came out this time, focusing on the Marvel family. It says the Shazam family, but we all know it's Captain Marvel and Mary Marvel and uh, Captain Marvel Junior. So, yeah, or CM three, I believe he was being referred to at this point. Uh, Azrael number thirty four. Looks like he's taking on some parademons as a, in another Genesis crossover. Batman number 547 is a Genesis crossover. Uh, it's hard to tell based on the cover exactly what he's doing because it's just uh, rather ugly Kelly Jones art of him holding his cape up to scare you. Uh, Batman Chronicles number 10, which was a uh, quarterly book, I believe, for this series that brought some people in to tell, you know, short stories based on different areas of Batman and his world. Um, there's three stories in this one. Uh, let's see. With, uh, yeah. Uh, with a cool cover by Phil Winslow showing just one block of Gotham. You get to see the YMCA and stuff. Uh, Batman Secret Files number one with a stunning looking cover by Scott McDaniel uh, features an all new origin story uh, there's a an interview with Alfred uh, inside info on Batman's allies a guided tour of the Batcave a psychological profile of the Waynes and a look at the first family of Gotham the Waynes and how Batman gets his equipment so that's th- those secret files and origins are usually pretty cool uh, let's see, in addition to teaming up in JLA, Green Arrow and Green Lantern teamed up for Hate Crimes Part 1 of 3 in Green Arrow 125. And it's a crossover story between Green Lantern and Green Arrow Part 2. will probably be also this month. We'll see. Uh, let's see. Oh, Genesis number 2 came out, featuring a now, all the covers for Genesis have Alan Davis and Mark Farmer on the covers, and they look awesome. Uh, but unfortunately, it's one of those great artists on the cover, not quite as great artist on the inside, so it kind of makes the Ron Wagner stuff look not quite as good. Uh, but this one has all the heroes of Earth with High Father in the background. Uh, ginormous, so it looks really cool. Uh, Green Lantern Annual, number six, another Pulp Heroes Annual. Impulse, I can only imagine what's happening. Impulse, number 30. Uh, features uh, Impulse trying to chase down a kid on a tricycle. Okay, it's another Genesis crossover. Um, I believe Genesis uh, messed up, messed with a lot of heroes' powers, but possible that Impulse lost his powers in the Genesis wave. Uh, Jack Kirby's Fourth World is another Genesis crossover, which makes sense considering uh, John Byrne wrote both series. Uh, this one, it looks like uh, Highfather's not doing too well, and his staff is broken. Oh boy. Uh, Kingdom Come had its trade paperback this month after last month's hardcover. Legionnaires number 53, a team in transit. Uh, someone leaves, someone, or someone out of the team, someone joins the team. Looks like a female Hulk, or actually, it looks like Hulk joins the team. I can't tell. It looks like there's lipstick. Uh, it's hard to tell. And uh, then there's the introduction of some other person. Uh, let's see. The Man Called AX, number one, premieres this month. Nightwing, number 13. 
was this month. Uh, Sovereign 7, number 27. Supergirl, number 14, which is another Genesis crossover. Superman, number 128, was a, Gen- was a Genesis crossover. It looks like it features Cyborg escaping the... Oh, yes. Cyborg looks like he gets to escape the source wall, which he was thrown to uh, back during Final final Night by Parallax. Uh, he and He's going to end up getting a a uh, trip back to Earth by hiding out in the technology of Superman's containment suit costume. Action Comics Annual Number 9 came out this month, as well as Superman, or Adventures of Superman 551. Now, starting this issue, Tom Grummet and Dennis Rodier switched from working on Action Comics over to Adventures of Superman. Dave Michelini, the reason he didn't write last issue, because he was gone, uh, and Stuart Eminen and Jose Marzan Jr. were switching over and Stuart Eminen was going to take over as writer and artist and this issue of Adventures of Superman normally would have had Carl Kiesel writing it but for some reason they got they had Dan Jurgens taking care of it instead um, but it's got a cool uh, cover showing it looks like a couple of shots it's uh, Cyborg in profile and uh, Superman you know a, looking straight at us uh, and half of them looks like it's a scan of his containment suit and the other half is just kind of the way we normally would see it but it's all looks like it's written down in blueprints it looks like some kind of a readout or something it's kind of cool Aquaman number 37 was a Genesis crossover issue Batman and Robin Adventures number 23 has nothing to do with Genesis because it's an animated book but it's Batman and Robin versus Killer Croc uh, let's see, Batman and or Batman: The Long Halloween number eleven, Roman Holiday, which has a cool cover featuring a piece of cake taken out of or a piece cut out of a cake. Um, Challenges of the Unknown number nine, which I guess is the finale to that last rights story or last last days. Yes. Uh, Detective Comics number seven fourteen has nothing to do with Genesis. Uh, but appears to be Batman versus Firefly. Uh, Genesis number three came out uh, showing a really eerie cover of Darkseid, uh, basically with smoke coming off of one eye and both of them kind of flared uh, while the heroes of the DC Universe basically pour out of his hands. Uh, let's see, Hitman number 19. Lobo number 44 was a Genesis crossover and it looks like in typical Lobo fashion he's riding a surfboard on the Genesis wave wow Uh, Major Bummer number 3 has nothing to do with Genesis Resurrection Man number 6 is a Genesis crossover Superboy number 44 has nothing to do with the Genesis crossover but it does have a cover by Sal Buscema and John Staniski um for a story by those two on art and written by Barbara Kessel, Kessel still. Uh, let's see. Young Heroes in Love number five had it was a part of the Genesis crossover. Action Comics number seven thirty eight uh, is not a Genesis crossover, but as I mentioned before, uh, is written by is the first issue by Stuart Eminen and Jose Marzan Jr. Uh, the 
a let's see is this the second one yes the second team up of Spider-Man and Batman came out this month uh, this one is written by J.M. DeMatteis with pencils by Graham Nolan and inks by Carl Kiesel which might be why he was too busy to write Adventures of Superman um, this is a pretty good one uh, it's, it is the second one though. I believe the first one was when uh, Spider-Man was in his uh, clone saga costume uh, that one was also cool though because it was drawn by Mark Bagley and I really like his art uh, this one he's in his usual normal costume um, Batman Legends of the Dark Knight continues the steps well actually concludes the steps storyline with part 2 of that story looks like Batman might be taking an arrow in the chest for somebody Batman Shadow of the Bat Annual number 5 features Poison Ivy uh this is another Birds of Prey miniseries begins this month. Uh, Birds of Prey Wolves. Catwoman number 50 comes out this month. And it looks like she gets a new costume. A new feline fury. Uh, and it's a crazy costume. You've got a bunch of the Batman characters in the background. You can specifically see Batman, Robin, Joker, Killer Croc and some others that I don't know the names of, but Catwoman's costume has some metal to it, and she's got eye protectors, and the claws are very prominent, and the whip looks pretty heavy-duty. Uh, yeah, it's a whole new Catwoman. And uh, there was a deluxe edition with a different cover. Uh, Genesis number four, The Final Battle, Into the Source. Uh, so that's the fin that's going to be the finale for G Genesis. Uh, Hitman had an annual, its first annual. Uh, JLA number eleven, which we're talking about now. Uh, Legion of Superheroes number ninety-seven, uh, which was a Genesis crossover. Believe it or not, f uh, features the Legion versus the Mantis, plus new powers for Spark. Ah, oh, Spark was the female Lightning Lass used to be. Uh, let's see. Uh, Robin, number 46, was also part of the Genesis crossover. Um, and it look Oh, this is the one where someone dies and he's un and Robin is unable to save them. That's an actually pretty heartbreaking issue. Spectre, number 58, is a Genesis crossover. Superboy and the Ravers, number 14, is a Genesis crossover. Uh, once again, another one of those plus books. Superboy plus Slither who is also from the pages of Scare Tactics. Uh, Teen Titans number 13 uh, is a not only a Genesis crossover, but is part two of the Then and Now storyline, uh, in which we actually see on the cover, This apparently this is going to focus somewhat on Wally West. And on the cover, this time we see the new Titans versus the older Titans, it looks like. Uh, I see Flash, Nightwing... Uh, Tempest, who used to be Aqualad, and somebody else, versus the the newer team, whose names I couldn't tell you right now. And uh, Wonder Woman number one twenty six uh, features the Daily Planet article, "A World Without Wonder Woman." Oh, this one. This is a pretty big, uh, pretty uh, 
bad timing. Uh, it wasn't uh, just a few days or within a week later that the actual Princess Diana, Lady Di, uh, died. Uh, so they have this world without Wonder Woman, Diana, Princess of Themyscira struck down, and then in real life, Princess Di uh, died. So that was a weird timing. Not that they could help it, but it was just one of those weird timings. And then I guess you pronounce the zero X E R O was another Genesis crossover. Uh, blown away by Polaris. I, I honestly have never read this book, so. I didn't even know it existed, so I don't know much about all that. Sorry. Uh, but that's going to do it. Uh, make sure you come back next week for the next part of this story. We'll see you then. This has been an episode of Charlie's Geekcast, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer. The show's website is www.charliesgeekcast.com, where you'll find notes and images for each episode. Please feel free to leave a comment there or email the show at charliesgeekcast at gmail.com, and I'll read them on the air. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes. I also have another show called Superman of the Bronze Age, where I cover Superman comics published between 1970 and 1986. You can find that at www.supermanofthebronzeage.com. Charlie's Geek Cast is an I Don't Have a Fake Company name production. All images and music used are copyright their respective copyright holders. Thank you for listening, and God bless. God bless.